welcome to another episode of my weird little podcast and today we have roxana in los angeles yay patrick in the other room here in las vegas and me also in vegas but in this room i'm now in the living room today so that's different All right. So, um, how have you been? How's how's everybody? How's things? Good. It's uh, almost Halloween, so yeah. I don't know when this will be released, but this, at the Halloween will be a month ago once this is released. Oh, so, so. but now it was a great Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, tonight, Pat and I are going to go check out the Freakling Brothers haunt out here in vegas so i don't know it's featured on ghost adventures our friend who was on that episode is taking us so maybe we haven't heard back from him but maybe we're gonna go but uh if we do go i'll tell you how it is next week or the next time we record excellent so, is yeah, it I'm is a little it, is it what's circus? that is it a circus themed haunt um, I don't know. There's there one how like there's multiple haunts. There's one called uh the Gates of Hell House or something like that, or Hell House. I don't know, but I'm very intrigued. I'm a little nervous because I don't know how extreme of a haunt it's gonna be. Um I imagine they're not gonna be like touching us and stuff because of COVID. Oh but yeah. I'm not entirely sure. So um but i don't know if if we do end up going then i'll tell you all about it the next time we record and you'll hear about it and it'll it'll probably be really cool so i'm very interested more in like the theatric part of it because like i haven't done any haunts here in las vegas ever oh no wait we did we did go to fright dome one year but pat and i were so drunk that we don't really remember it remember it uh, and, oh, and then we also did, Eli Roth had a pop-up uh, little haunted house out here one time, but that was, was kind of short-lived, you know. It was cool, um, from what I remember. I was also drunk, so, but, <laughs> yeah. Where was that? It was, like, in Planet Hollywood or something. Yeah, yeah do you like, remember? It was, like, uh... I think maybe it was called the quad at that time or something. Oh, the link. Was it at the link? Yeah, it was like in that same area because remember it had that like open bar area that was in the middle, like at the end, but the bar was like kind of not open yeah. bar, like open is in the sense that it was like you, it was, you could see out onto the strip. From I don't know why I thought it was at Planet Hollywood or something. Oh, well, it's not. It's, it's, it's not close. really yeah. where it was. That's true. Yeah. Anyways, that was fun. Uh, but yeah. Yep. Winding down the end of the Halloween season here. And yep. uh, yeah. So, uh, well, let's just get into the episode then. Um, so, uh, so today's episode, I I don't know who should go first, if you should go first or I should go first. But today's episode was supposed to be a stick it to the man on uh, Thomas Edison and P.T. Barnum, who are 
sometimes thought as to be these great people, but may or may not have been all of that wonderful. Um, but I don't want to give too much away about my guy. I did P.T. Barnum. <gasps> what? Um, I did Tom No, I'm just kidding. I did Tom oh. oh, okay. Good, good. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, if, if we both did P.T. Barnum, we would just have a lot of extra information. Maybe we would be conflicted on how we feel about him, you know? No, I don't I don't know. I, I know how I feel about Thomas Edison. So Yeah. He was kind of a poop. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, well do you wanna go first? Because I feel like well, like what year years does yours take place? Mine is the eighteen tens into the eighteen eighties. Oh, oh. Yeah, no, we are we are starting at the late eighteen hundreds. So Edison is born eighteen forty seven. Okay, so. okay, and then I'll go first. Yay, fantastic. So originally this was titled Fuck You P. T. Barnum, but I don't know if I feel that way anymore after reading about him. Um so let's just start out with uh where I got my information. I got uh, mine from an article in the Atlantic, the Smithsonian Magazine, and a wonderful YouTube channel called Biographics um, that I watch a lot of, and I get a lot of information from that. Uh, the guy who does it has multiple YouTube channels, but his more, uh, I don't know, his his less casual one is called biographics. His more casual one is called the casual criminal criminologist criminalist. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> something like that. But, uh, and I got some of it from Wikipedia. That being said, I want to read the first paragraph of how he PT Barnum or, uh, his full name, Phineas Taylor Barnum, how he is described uh, via via Wikipedia, and uh, just to kind of set the tone for this. So Wikipedia uh, describes Phineas Taylor Barnum uh, as uh, Phineas Taylor Barnum was an American showman, businessman, politician, remembered for promoting celebrated hoaxes and founding the Barnum and Bailey Circus with James Anthony Bailey. He was also an author, publisher, and philanthropist, though he said of himself, I am a showman by profession, and all of the gilding shall make nothing else of me. According to his critics, his personal aim was to put money in his own coffers. He is widely credited with the adage, there's a sucker born ever, every minute, although no proof can be found of him saying this. So Wikipedia kind of already starts a picture of P.T. Barnum as being not too great of a person. However, I was just so conflicted with things, but I'll just get into it. And I'm really going to let you decide whether or not you think he's a great guy or not, you know, here. So, uh, all right. So. Phineas Taylor Barnum was born July 5th, 1810 in Bethel, Connecticut. Philo Barnum uh, and Irene Taylor Barnum, his parents, were farmers who uh, would rent out a room in their home to make additional income. His grandfather, Phineas Taylor, was a Whig 
which I had to look up what a wig is, but they're like uh, part of, uh, worked alongside the Democratic Party. So it's just, I, yeah, they're like a political group, I guess. Uh, he was a landowner, a legislat- legislator, and a justice of the peace. Now, on the day of P.T. Barnum's baptism, he inherited a piece of land from his grandfather named Ivy Island. It was 4.6 acres of land. P.T. Barnum, although his family was not very well off, he would claim to his friends that he was the richest kid in town because he owned his own island. So in his head, he had this idea that he owns this island and that when he's older, he's going to live on his own private island. And he's actually quite rich, although they were not that well off whatsoever. So at 10 years old, his parents finally take him to see the land known as Ivy Island. And he discovered that it was basically worthless swampland. This is very disappointing to him. So he decided that he was going to work as hard as he can to become rich. Problem being, though, is that he hated manual labor and he would he actually would admit that he was the laziest boy in town. So Mm -hmm. he really didn't like to actually do the farm work, but he wanted to be rich. So he spent a lot of time thinking of how about how he would actually end up doing this. And. Along the lines, his father, or along the way, his father ended up helping him get a job at a grocery store, which he really enjoyed because he liked the salesmanship of it. He liked the idea of running his own business. Uh, When he's 15, his father died, so he was even more motivated to bring more money to the family. And um, now that he was like the head of the, the household now, So he began a lottery business. Now, it was something that his grandfather actually would do in town, would uh, sell lottery tickets. And um, so P.T. Barnum started running a lottery from the grocery store. And he guaranteed that uh, half of the tickets sold would win prizes. Now, the number, like the one ticket, the lottery winner would win, you know, a portion of the cash earnings he got from the ticket sales like any other lottery um but then the most half of the tickets sorry half of the tickets would get some sort of consolation prize these consolation prizes were things that he was getting for free from the grocery store like glass bottles or advertisements um different things like that so He was pretty brilliant, I I must say, you know, and so he, his first lottery he did, he sold over a thousand tickets um, and he ended up earning enough money that a year later at 16, he's actually able to move to New York. So he goes to New York for a short time with the idea that he was going to open his own grocery store in New York. Uh, But he ends up catching smallpox and having to move back to Connecticut for his mother to take care of him. So he's stuck in Connecticut. He wants to get out. He wants to have this very glamorous life, but he's he's had some setbacks. So at 18, he opens up a confectionery shop uh, in Connecticut where he sold fruit and candy. 
and he would run more lotteries from the store. And at 21, he tries to get his voice in uh, politics and he writes some papers that he tries to get published at the local newspaper, uh, but they're all rejected. So he decides he's going to buy his own printing press and print out his own paper where he can just say whatever he wants. With uh, So he calls it the Herald Freedom. And in one of his articles, he exposes the corrupt leaders of the town's local church. And these men end up suing him for libel because he had no proof to back up his claims. He ends up paying a $100 fine and spent 60 days in jail. So he's already kind of just saying what he wants to whoever he wants. And mm-hmm. this is very much P.T. Barnum of I, if I say it, it makes it true basically and anything that's going to shock people and get a rise out of them he's going to want to do because he loves the attention and he ends up becoming a local hero and he becomes a leader of the liberal movement so having accomplished all of this in connecticut he finally tries to move back to new york one more time uh he does he meets his wife charity and they buy a house in new york and they rent out the rooms like his parents did in Connecticut. And he has partial ownership of a grocery store, runs his lotteries from there, but he doesn't actually do any uh, work at the grocery store. He owns part of it. He can take in the earnings, but he doesn't actually have to do any labor there. And so they're financially comfortable, but this is not enough for P.T. Barnum. He wants to be very rich. And so this brings us to his first very questionable um, act. And the first time he gets his toes wet in the show business. Um, So at 25, he meets a man who tells him about an elderly African woman uh, named Joyce Heth. Joyce Heth claims that she was George Washington's nanny and has very detailed stories that she would go on and on and on about. Now, if she actually was George Washington's nanny, that would make her 161 years old. (laughs) So P.T. Barnum is fascinated by this spectacle and he buys Joyce Heth. He, because back then you can own people and uh so he pays a thousand dollars to the to her owner to put her on display and she looks so old that people actually believe that she is 161 years old and he puts her on display and tours her around and she tells her stories but this i mean this is not great (laughs) you know people liked it and people like coming to see this but he owned an elderly woman an elderly slave that he made perform for him and she dies after a year of touring so pt barnum arranges for her autopsy to be public Oh, it gets to her autopsy and the autopsy reveals that she's only about 80 years old. 
Now, people actually weren't that mad about this. People thought, oh, wow, you know, this is crazy. And, you know, they actually, like, enjoyed the spectacle of it all. Um, so that's not that great. Anyways, so that's probably the first questionable thing that he did. Um, not sure how I feel about that one, but so PT Barnum loves the, the show business. And so he starts to try to sell tickets to juggling acts and plate spinning, but they're not as successful as his show had been with Joyce Heth. And mostly because people had seen jugglers before, you know, this wasn't something that was unique. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to find something that people hadn't seen before. So at 26, he leaves behind his wife and children uh, to join a traveling circus and get experience in show business. So, uh, the owner of the circus is a man named Aaron Turner, and he teaches P.T. Barnum how to get a crowd riled up. And one of the ways he shows P.T. Barnum how to get a crowd riled up by any means necessary is by playing a prank on P.T. Barnum. So in front of a crowd the day before uh, their circus is to open in town, in front of a crowd... Aaron Turner points at P.T. Barnum and claims that he is a man named Reverend Ephraim Avery, who uh, was a man who was a acquitted of murder. And most people believe that he was guilty and that uh, that he had just been let go. Uh, Reverend, a sorry, Reverend Ephraim Avery had been in the newspapers a lot for this story, but a lot of people didn't know what he looked like. So all these people knew was like that they hated this man, but had no clue who he was. And, you know, when the leader of the circus points at someone and says, hey, get him, it's Reverend Ephraim Avery, a mob ensues, an angry mob starts chasing after P.T. Barnum. And at the very last moment, before the angry mob is about to like, you know, jump poor P.T. Barnum. Well, I shouldn't say poor P.T. Barnum, but uh, Aaron Turner shouts out that it is just, that they're just circus performers and it's all a practical joke. And they become the talk of the town. And people wanted to know who would be this crazy to actually pull a prank like this. And it actually increases ticket sales. So, yep, it works. And that is also one of those questionable things so so after six months of tour touring sorry after six months of touring pt barnum starts his own troupe of performers called barnum's grand scientific and musical theater and uh he even buys a steamboat to give tours and performances along the rivers in the south and after a year he decides he wants to go back to his wife and kids because he misses them and he wants something a little more established. He doesn't really want to have to move from town to town constantly. So he returns to New York and he wants to display curiosities in an established building. So in 1841, he purchases, he purchases the shooters or 
Scudders, Scud, God names, S C U D D E R S, Scudders American Museum. Uh, he dresses up the building by putting flags. He adds a rooftop garden where people can go uh, ride a hot air balloon. And he brings in exotic animals, magicians, and he does recreations of famous battles. So one weird thing that he does, though, to uh, create curiosity about this building is he actually pays a man to... Okay, this is going to sound so weird. I don't understand why people thought this was even remotely interesting. But he pays a man to bring a brick from outside inside and then bring that brick back outside and do this multiple times around the same time every day for a few days leading up to the opening. And people would notice this man just moving bricks in and out you know, of the building, like a one singular brick, I guess. They could have thought it was multiple bricks. I don't know. And apparently people were like, oh, I need to know what the brick is about. We need to go to this place. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. It's... <laughs> Humans are weird. We're very Victorians. Weird. Yeah, Victorians are weird. I don't, I don't understand it. Um... Anyways, it works. People want to know what this brick business is about, and they uh, buy tickets, and they start going to his his uh, museum. This is where he creates the Fiji Mermaid, um, which is a pretty well-known circus hoax nowadays. But at the time, people didn't know it was a hoax. And if you don't know what a Fiji Mermaid is, it is a baboon or monkey skeleton that is attached to a fish skeleton to look like a very tiny mermaid um and he displays this thing as if it's a real creature so yeah (laughs) he's kind of a liar (laughs) um just a little bit um but it's harmless, I guess, at this point. So, so then he descri- uh, he starts to display uh, live human oddities, which we know less flatteringly known nowadays, or I guess people don't really use this term anymore, but it would be known as the freak show. And he would exploit people with physical physical abnormalities. And but he would treat them very well. He was very kind to these people. He paid them very, very well. And he would treat them like they were members of his families, uh, of his own family. Uh, he, uh, so the freak show members, many of them became quite wealthy. Some of them were even able to retire after a few years if they wanted to. Some of them chose to continue to work for many, many years. And uh, many of them even went on to marry and have relatively normal lives. And lots of them married and had kids as well. So you can look at it that way as if these people probably wouldn't have had that great of lives outside of his museum. Right. They probably would have not been able to find work, uh, probably wouldn't have been educated or 
dressed or properly cared for. And he cared for these people, some of them, until they died. And, but some of it is a little questionable. Mm. So I'm going to point out two of his famous uh, oddities that were in his freak show. These were human beings and it's a little questionable, but um, one of them was actually a distant cousin of his, a man named Charles Stratton, uh, who would go by the stage name of Tom Thumb. He uh, he joined, and I use joined loosely because it was really his parents' choice to put him into this show at four years old. Uh, so uh, at one year, after the age of one, he his growing had slowed, and he never really grew taller than about two feet tall. He was about two feet tall for most of his life. I think at, at his death, he ended up being three feet four inches. Now, his parents were carpenters, and they feared that their son would never be able to make a living, which, to me, four years old is a little early to be worrying about that, but okay, um, <laughs> you know. So uh, they basically handed him over to P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum taught him how to sing and dance and act, and P.T. Barnum actually educated him very well. Uh, he paid the boy's parents $3 a week, which is about $70 in today's money, which is not a lot, but I guess a lot for a four-year-old to be earning. Um, and <laughs> yeah. P.T. Barnum, yeah, right? Uh, and P.T. Right. Barnum gave her the, <laughs> right? Why can't, why can't all four years old? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. So P.T. Barnum gave him the stage name of Tom Thumb after the English fairy tale. He would also claim that the boy was 10 years old instead of five to make his small stature seem more impressive. Uh, and this is also why he taught Charles how to act and also how to recite um, speeches and would try to grow his vocabulary. So for, for a five-year-old, this, this kid was in, incredibly well-spoken because he was taught to do this. And um, they would dress him in tailor-made suits and he would perform roles of digni dignified figures in history like Napoleon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's like this little bitty Napoleon. Um, so uh, he traveled all over the U.S. and Europe. He became an international celebrity. He actually appeared for Queen Victoria twice for her. And because of his fame and popularity, P.T. Barnum was able to hire more proportional dwarfs to act, uh, to be part of his act there at the museum. And Charles Stratton ended up meeting his wife, Lavina Warren, who was another dwarf. Uh, and of course, P.T. Barnum threw them a wedding, which he also exploited. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it became front page news. Uh, the wedding took place at Grace. Picks. I don't know how to say this. Pixcopal. You know what I'm talking about it. Grace Episcopal Church. Oh, okay. I get Wait, what you're saying. How do you say it? Well, Episcopal? Epis 
what yeah, Roxana said. Yes. Okay. Uh, and the reception was at the Metropolitan Hotel in New York. Uh, the couple stood atop a grand piano to greet 10,000 guests. Uh, and the couple were later received uh, by President Lincoln at the White House. So um, Tom Thumb would work till the day he died. He never retired. He actually enjoyed performing and had a great life. He had a wife. He had kids. And um, so that's kind of a good outcome to this, um, you might say. It's not that he really had any choice in the matter, though of whether he had very, he didn't have very many options. And also he was put into the show at four years old. So this was all he knew. Another person that would perform for uh, P.T. Barnum was a woman named Annie Jones. Uh, So Annie Jones was born July 14th, 1865. And she was born with hair growing on her face. And she would be their first bearded lady or bearded woman. Um, But uh, the cause was never known. They have yet to figure out whatever actually caused this. And she was put into P.T. Barnum's show at nine months old. Oh. Oh, yeah. So she definitely had no choice in the matter. And... So she would be put on display from from the moment she, you know, could even have any understanding. She never uh, had any choice in the matter either. So that, to me, is also quite questionable. Um, Her parents were given about the equivalent of $150 a week salary, and they billed her as the infant Esau. I had to look up who Esau was. He was uh, one of the brothers of Jacob. Uh, no, one of the sons of Jacob uh, from, you know, uh, the story with Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I know it has a different <laughs> name in the Bible, but that story, he's one of Jacob's sons, Esau. And I guess they said this because he, what's up? He was the hairy one. Sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Yes, he was the hairy one, yeah. So so at five, she had a mustache and sideburns. She would later be billed as the bearded girl. Her photographs were widely distributed. um, And as an adult, she tried to abolish the word freak from the sideshow business. And... um, she would be married twice, so she did have, you know, somewhat of a normal life. She married twice, and but she died of tuberculosis in 1902, never really knowing a life outside of this show business. Um, I bring up her story because she did not like the word freak or uh, that that was used to describe them. And, you know, that's something that P.T. Barnum came up with. and something that is still used to today and some people who are in this sort of sideshow business um really own that word and they have taken it back as their own um and some people probably don't agree with that word you know and i can't speak for someone who 
you know, does not have the choice of being viewed this way or so. Anyways, moving on to other things that P.T. Barnum would do in his life. Um, like I said, this made me very conflicted because, yes, these people did have great lives because of him, because of how he would pay them and dress them and treat them and respected them, but he was also exploiting them. And because of this, people people were othered, you know, and we still other people who are different. So, yeah. Okay, I'm going to boil my anger down a bit and continue on. So, um, so his museum, which would be later called also the American Museum, became so popular that people, oh, here's another, this is another funny thing that he would do as a way of kind of scamming people. So, People would buy tickets to go into the museum, but they would spend all day there. They would never leave because there was just so much to look at. And this led to overcrowding and it was kind of difficult with ticket sales because people just never left. So they couldn't put more people in and sell more tickets. So he put up a sign that said, he put up a sign that said this way to the egress. And people would be like, oh, what's the egress? I want to go look at that. But egress is just a fancy word for exit. And once they exited the building, the doors would lock automatically behind them and they would have to buy a ticket to get back in. That's great. Which I think is so funny because I didn't know what that meant. And somebody uses that at at the museum I work at on the way to the circus exhibit. She goes, this way to the egress, everyone. Right as she walks by the portrait of P.T. Barnum. And I just thought that that was a funny thing that they add. Uh, yeah, I was tour. totally just thinking about that. Yeah, it's, yeah. that's uh, that's so funny because I always thought that's like brilliant. Um, yeah, way to go, Becky. <laughs> so, uh, so that's another way that he kind of lies to people and scams them for their money, but it's harmless, I guess. <laughs> you know, uh, except for if you like just bought your ticket and then you wanted to go to the egress right off the bat, that could, that could. <laughs> suck for you um so he built his family a massive home in connecticut he calls iranistan because uh it has a lot of middle eastern influences in the building you ever see pictures of iranistan it was a gorgeous 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 house huge mansion that he built uh he modeled it after brighton royal pavilion in england And he used it as a venue to entertain musical artists and performers, including Mark Twain, came there. One person he brought in was a uh, European opera singer named Jenny Lind. And she was one of the first opera singers in the United States. And people didn't know what opera was at the time. And because of P.T. Barnum, uh, opera became popularized in the U.S. So that's a cool thing he did, I guess. Um, he also made tons of money off of her, but she also made money too. So, you know, um, and so in 1857, however, men who were hired to repair Iranistan while Barnum was away in New York left a pipe burning when they left for the day, which caused a fire that destroyed everything. This was a huge financial loss for P.T. Barnum. And in 1865, 
the American Museum burnt down to the ground. He rebuilt it and it burnt down to the ground one more time. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I can't help but feel bad for the guy, though, because also with these burning down, that meant all of the animals inside were perished in the in the flames. These people lost livelihoods. It's just very sad. So, so he would say that it uh, burned to the ground all of his life's accomplishments. So he was very devastated by this. So he would not let this be his fa- his failure. Uh, P.T. Barnum, at 60, 60 years old, decided to start a traveling circus, which some of us are familiar with today, his traveling circus. Uh, he bought a train to move equipment from place to place and performers from place to place. Uh, his first show was called P.T. Barnum's Grand Traveling Museum Menagerie Caravan and Hippodrome. Yeah, he's really good with the titles. <laughs> there. So uh, uh, in 1881, at 71, he joined up with another circus owned by a man named James Bailey, and they started Barnum and Bailey's Greatest Show on Earth, which ran for over 130 years or some odd. Uh, It was the first ever three-ring circus, and their biggest attraction was Jumbo the Elephant. And here we go to our next conflicting story. So, as we know, recently in the 2000s, Barnum and Bailey were under a lot of pressure to to provide better treatment for their animals uh, or to get rid of animals in their act completely. Uh, In May of 2011, the animals were finally taken out of the circus for uh, Barnum and Bailey. However, that would end up being their downfall and they closed just a few years later. But for over a hundred years, these animals were being exploited because of P.T. Barnum. And some of the treatments we that they would do, like using bull hooks or pokers and really harming these animals, uh, we would find very much unethical today. So that's very sad, you know? And even to this day, we still have animals that are in shows that don't have a choice in the matter. These animals do not choose this for their life. And it is very sad. And that's one side of the story. The other side is that the general public would not be exposed to these animals or get to see them. So this them seeing an elephant up close means that they're going to care about elephants. They care about the survival of this elephant. And they can be educated on these animals. This is why we have zoos, why we have performances at zoos is so to educate the public. It is sad because these animals have to live in captivity and maybe aren't treated that well. So that'll let you make your own decision on. Anyways, Jumbo the Elephant is killed by getting hit by a freight train in 1885 uh, in Ontario. Oh, my battery is running low. Sorry. But yes, poor Jumbo the Elephant 
ends up getting hit by a train. So. <laughs> oh, here comes, here comes Patrick. Probably need this, right? No, it's this one. Put that light on on this side. You good? I'm okay? Yeah, I'm good? Oh, okay. Good. This one dies in like seconds. Oh, okay. So, like I said, um, yeah, so Jumbo the Elephant dies. Also, okay, so here's another point that I want to bring up that, yes, P.T. Barnum did exploit animals uh, for his show. However, he had somewhat of a love-hate relationship, friendship, you might call it, with a man named Henry Berg. Henry Berg created the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty of Animals in 1866. Henry Berg was very much against P.T. Barnum at first um, because he came to the American Museum and he saw that P.T. Barnum was feeding live rabbits to a large boa constrictor snake. And he actually said that um, if you need to be feeding live rabbits to the snake, it is better that the snake starve than for you to be performing this act of cruelty. And P.T. Barnum came at uh, Henry Berg with uh, a letter from Harvard's, uh, a Harvard scientist whose name is uh, Louis, oh God, A-G-A-S-S-I-Z, -S -S Aguiz, Louis Aguiz, a Harvard scientist. He got him to write a letter to Henry Berg, basically explaining like, that's what you feed a boa constrictor. They need to eat live rabbits. They will not eat dead animals. They need to eat live rabbits. And yes, that's maybe you find it cruel, but that is what the laws of nature require, you know? And so be it that people find this fascinating and see it, he is feeding the snake what the snake needs to be fed. Yes, it is sad for the rabbits, but that is how nature works you know someone's so, gonna yeah so pt barnum and henry berg actually have correspondence back and forth quite a bit and pt barnum actually kind of educates henry berg on exotic animals because he had never been exposed to these before and pt barnum would uh ask um berg about certain things and practices that he had in his own circus so he was trying to do better. Now, Berg ends up trying to attack P.T. Barnum another time later on while he was doing his three-ring circus because of a trick that he did where a horse would, would jump through a hoop that was set on fire. And P.T. Barnum tried to explain to Henry Berg that the fire was made, uh, the hoop was treated with chemicals that would make the fire not rub off onto the horse. So when the horse goes through the fire, there's actually no real danger from the fire. So Berg though, decides to respond kind of over the top, but P.T. Barnum loved this. Um, and P.T. Barnum had invited Henry Berg to come see the show for himself and to deem whether or not it's safe himself. And Henry Berg rejects the invitation instead sends over the super, superintendent of the AS, 
PCA, several animal welfare officers, and 20 policemen to see the show uh, with the hopes that uh, it would be deemed unsafe and they would arrest P.T. Barnum and shut down the show. Well, P.T. Barnum loved this spectacle and um, he actually, instead of showing the horse go through, jump through the hoop, he actually jumped through the hoop himself. He, he put on his hat and he jumps through the hoop himself. He actually puts his arm up to the fire to show that, um, that it is perfectly safe. And um, that uh, they, the superintendent ends up giving the okay for the show and all is great and everything. P.D. Barnum later would say about Henry Berg, although I was forced to resent his ill-advised interference, this episode did not impair my personal regard for Mr. Berg and my admiration, admiration for his noble work. So P.T. Barnum actually spoke very highly of him. And because some would say that because of P.T. Barnum's back and forth with Henry Berg, the ASPCA was able to be popularized and gain notoriety um, in the public eye, you know? So, and, you know, he may have educated Henry Berg just a little bit on things that he would not have been exposed to, like knowing that, you know, exotic animals need to eat live food. So... But, you know, Henry Berg is also fascinating uh, reading and looking into him and how uh, very uh, passionate he was about animals and their treatment of animals in the Victorian age. Um, so definitely look him up. Anyways, moving on to P.T. Barnum. Uh, he, he wrote four books, including The Art of Money Getting, which I love that title, and another book called Humbugs of the World. And, which he basically would talk about schemes, different schemes in the world. The humbug is like a trick or a prank or something that's false, but people believe it, like the Fiji mermaid. Um, yeah. So, uh, like um, finding out that Joyce Heth was actually 80 years old, it would be a humbug, like kind of a disappointment of something that's false and not true, you know, uh, that's what they called a humbug in the Victorian age, I guess. So uh, he was very honest about psychics and magicians. He even called out Harry Houdini, which is kind of interesting because Houdini was also anti-psychic, uh, you know, apparently didn't like him either. So, uh, so he would get more involved with politics towards the end of his life. He joined the Republican Party. Uh, as part of Connecticut legislature, um, and he fought for the freedom of black slaves, and he actually had a hand in helping abolish slavery. Um, because he had worked with uh, many uh, African people uh, in his circus, he employed many of them. He saw, you know, what a lot of people didn't see was that these are human beings, these are people just like us, you know, uh, which you know, a lot of people didn't feel that way at the time. And so, you know, he, that's, I guess, a 
good thing that he did. You know, it is a good thing. I'm not going to say, I guess, I don't know. Abolishing slavery is a good thing. Don't come at me okay, <laughs> <laughs> at all. But, you know, it, it is it is a, kind of a good thing that he did. Uh, in 1875, he becomes mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut for a year. Uh, as he became old, he actually paid a newspaper to write a flattering eulogy about him so that he could hear it while he was still alive. And in 1891, he died of a stroke at 79 years. Uh, he worked till the day he died, you know, not in manual labor, because obviously he wasn't about that. But his last words were a request to look over some receipt. And there is a statue of him that is in Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, where he lived and most of his life. And was mayor. And that is the very conflicting story of emotionally conflicting story of P.T. Barnum. So do I think he was a good guy? <sighs> Not really. But do I think he was a terrible human being like how sometimes people paint the picture of him? Not really either. You know, uh, he definitely was passionate about show business. He was passionate about people. He was passionate about spectacle, which I can very much relate to. He treated his people well. He he cared about animals enough, you know, I guess a little bit, enough to, to talk to, you know, what to talk to the people who were fighting for their rights and to at least, you know, try to work with them. And, you know, I don't know, when I was doing research for this, like a lot of people were like saying how terrible P.T. Barnum was, but they really didn't have that many examples. Joyce Heth, yes, that's horrible that he owned a person, you know, and exploited them till the day she died in her later years. Um, you know, for one horrible thing that he would do, there was another great thing that he did, which is like helping abolish slavery. You know, he paid his uh, his oddities, his show, his showmen, you know, very, very well. And because of him, they were able to marry and have children and have clothes and have livelihood, which they wouldn't have had. So that's it. That's I'll let you all make your own decisions. I'm all sweaty now. Kind of a little bit the yeah. opposite of. P.T. Barnum, where P.T. Barnum already, you have a reputation of him being um, uh, exploiting people and not being the greatest person, that kind of thing, and the animals. Mm -hmm. But when you dig deeper, you're like, oh, he's, uh, it's more gray instead of black and white. And with Thomas Edison, we all learned about him in school. And so when you think of Thomas Edison from school, what what comes to mind? That he invented the light bulb. Okay, there we go, right? He invented yeah. all of this stuff. He was like this really smart, prolific inventor. And then that is why he's just like so celebrated and everything. Yeah. Although, well, ha having worked at Universal Studios, I was very much surprised with how anti-Edison they were at Universal Studios because of Carl Lemley. Um. So that was slightly refreshing, I guess. Right. Um, well, and then the reason yeah. why movie makers should have uh, animosity towards yeah. Thomas Edison. Um, 
and kind of like where he's not necessarily a really great person, like he's been painted. Um, but I also don't want to say that he's evil. He was just a very um, talented businessman, not necessarily mm-hmm. an inventor, but he knew what he needed to do to make money. Uh, he was born, like I said, 1847. So this is after P.T. Barnum's time in Milan, mm-hmm. Ohio, not Italy. So he's not that fancy. Uh, on February 11th, uh, he was uh, the last of seven children. So came from a very large family. And he mm-hmm. was uh, um, an odd child, as one might say, although there's nothing wrong with that at all. He was very smart. Um, he enjoyed working with uh, telegraph machines. He even created his own. Um, wasn't really into playing with the other kids. He pretty much liked to be by himself with his own interests. Uh, didn't really go to traditional school because during that time there wasn't really any need to. He was already pretty self-educated and uh, his mom even tried to do some homeschooling, but it was obvious that he was um, self-taught. Auto, auto, what's it called? Autodactyl or autodactyle, where you, you're able to teach yourself the information that you need to know. And yeah. so I don't think traditional schooling would have helped him at all. Um, mm. Because he was so smart and um, very... Uh, I can't find the word for it. Not capitalistic. Uh, but he, he wanted to make money for the family. And so he got mm-hmm. a job uh, selling stuff on the train. So just like, uh, you know, newspapers, matches, cigarettes, that kind of thing. But what he would do with the newspaper titles is that he would get the the headlines. He would pretty much pass them on to the next station. So that's all that people would have. So then this way it would create a buzz so that when he would show up at that station, people had already been talking about the headlines. Now they wanted to read the story. And so then a lot of money selling those newspapers. And again, it really had more to do with his business sense. And he was still a kid at this time. He wasn't even that charming or that social but he knew what made people tick and how he could get their money. Kind of like P.T. Mm-hmm. Barnum, you know? Yeah. Uh, industrious, <laughs> that's the word. Uh, he was very industrious. Uh, he wanted to become an inventor. Uh, that was one of his uh, his goals. But the thing was, he really wasn't that good at inventing stuff. One of his first uh, inventions was an automatic vote counter for the the Senate. It was supposed to be designed to make counting Senate votes or putting your vote in and and counting it, making it much easier and much more efficient. The problem was it would just take so long to set up that senators who at first were going to vote for this one thing or this one person kind of have time to change their mind. And, Uh you know, yeah, you really don't want you don't want people to be able to think. So the invention didn't really become popular. He didn't make any money off of it. Uh, we don't hear about it anymore, right? 
Then he goes to move. He moves to New York, and even though he, his invention wasn't very good, he was still very good at telegraph machines, taking them apart, um, fixing them, putting them together. So he kind of, he became a freelance uh, telegraph engineer, and so that's how he was making his money. And he bought his own, or he created his own business where he would hire other really talented inventors that would either come up with ideas or improve on other ideas. And then he would take their ideas and then patent it under his name. And he set up business in Menlo Park, New Jersey. So this is where you get the Wizard of Menlo Park. If you ever heard of him um, referenced as that. And of course, in school... You're taught about this. You think it's like just him in a room all by himself coming up with all these ideas like, what if we do this? In reality, he's paying other people to come up with this. So mm. that's um, that's how. Do, 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 do. Didn't they do that on The Simpsons? Somehow I'm getting like some flashback of The Simpsons Probably. of like Thomas, definitely see Thomas Edison. Yeah, they totally uh, did, did him in on The Simpsons. Like him, him sitting in a room and they're all his inventions and, you know. Yeah, then but he that's it, he the didn't. chair or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this is when the tinfoil phonograph was invented and this is a huge deal because this is how yeah. you can record and replay sound and here we are <laughs> over 100 yeah. years later so without that invention we wouldn't be here doing this basically but he didn't do it by himself it was he paid other people they all came up with this he's just the one that <laughs> put his name on the patent and see that's where his business sense really comes in. He was very good at knowing what he needed to do to make money. So he knew he couldn't make the inventions himself, pay somebody else to do it, put your name on the patent, bam, you make money off of that. And because his name is on the patent, he's the one that gets all the fame and the fortune. He gets invited to the White House because of this. He's known internationally because of that. Now he's kind of built himself mm-hmm. as being this really great inventor. And yeah, the tinfoil phonograph uh, really changed the entertainment industry, basically. Because mm-hmm. from there, that's when you get the record players and everything. Uh, now there was another company that took that idea but they instead of a tinfoil cylinder that they were recording on it was like a wax cylinder so it was slightly different Mm. but uh edison was having none of it he didn't want them to make any kind of money off of this invention so of course you know take him to court and sue and that's what edison also really became good at was taking people to court and suing them um but like um i said he wasn't coming up with his own ideas anyways. He was also taking ideas that had already been out and improving upon them. This is where we get the light bulb. So the light bulb had actually been around for a while before Edison. It just wasn't really that efficient. People hadn't uh, created a way to make the filament last very long because uh, air mm-hmm. would create it, it would cause it to burn very fast and wasn't very stable, you know, 
have it in your home. It's going to may set your house on fire. You don't really mm-hmm. want that, right? Um, the person that is responsible for coming up with the basic idea of the filament light bulb that we know, his name was John Starr. And he was the one that thought up, okay, you have the glass and then inside you have the filament, the electricity goes through it. It's going to heat up the filament, therefore creating light. But he died before he was able to really come up with how this would work. Then comes Joseph Swan. And in 1878, he kind of create, he's the one that created the first version of the modern filament light bulb. Now, Edison was like, I want that. So what he was going to, what he did was take the idea that Joseph Swan had, put it in his think tank with all of his inventors, and then they're going to come up with a better light bulb. And he tells this BS story of how he came up with the better filament was he was off fishing somewhere and his bamboo fishing pole and it was during the eclipse and he saw the filament uh, behind the, this eclipse and it inspired him somehow to create a better filament for the light bulb. This is absolute BS. It was one of his employees uh, that came up with the better filament um, and then of course his employee, because of all the experiments, actually later died from exposure to deadly chemicals. So, like P.T. Barnum, uh, Edison is good at exploiting people for, and making money off of them and their ideas, but he wasn't very good at taking yeah. care of them. And this is going to be a bit of yeah. a common theme. This is why I said he's he's more of a poop. Uh because with P.T. Barnum, <laughs> at the very least, he's taking care of the people that are in his shows. He's making sure that they're well off, that they're sharing yeah. in his success. Edison, yeah, not so much. Uh, even with his own family, yeah. he was known to be uh, emotionally abusive to his children and very emotionally neglectful to his wife. So you can't even say that he was a great family man, like not at all. I don't even think he probably was interested in having a family, except for that was what people did. And if you're going to make a lot of money and be this famous businessman, you might as well do what's going to make yeah. you quote unquote normal. It was like socially required to, right. you exactly. know, to have to have a wife and have to have a son, you know, children. Right. Um, yeah. but he was, he was interested in making that money. Those, those Benjamins, right. Got to get the yeah. Franklin's, um, but he comes up with, or his his employees come up with the better version of the light bulb. So they patent it, and then that's how he's making money. So even though Joseph Swan was really the person that created it, we now mm-hmm. give credit to Thomas Edison, and he one hundred. Yeah, they're not called Swan bulbs, not, right? Did not come up yeah. with it at all uh because what the another thing that joseph swan did that made this uh, light bulb successful was creating a vacuum so that this way there was no air getting into the light bulb that's going to burn out the filament or create fires Mm. joseph swan's the one that came up with that so edison boo nothing to do with 
the light bulb except for supplying the money to the people that made it better and mm-hmm. putting his name on the damn patent. So, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, then we go into the x-rays, <laughs> talking about how uh, Edison's not really great at making sure his employees were safe during their experimentation. And of course, you know, this was the late 1800s. There was a lot of things we just didn't know. But it also Mm -hmm. seems Edison was more about the end result and not really caring how it happened. So in 1894, German scientist kind of ends up stumbling upon uh, being able to do x-rays. And of course, at the time, we don't know that the radioactivity would cause cancer and that you shouldn't be really exposing yourself to this. Uh, but the German scientist mm-hmm. wasn't interested in making money off of it. He just thought it was this really cool thing that, oh my God, I put my wife's hand in there and I can see her bones and her, her wedding ring. And if, well, I don't know why the German scientist has a Southern accent, but just go with me here. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> Uh, and it's cool. You can see the picture of his the wife's hand and you can see the bones inside. And this was like really freaking cool at the time. It's 1895 and we're coming up with ways to uh-huh. see through skin. Uh, Edison hears about this fancy dancy uh, new thing. And of course, he wants his hands on that because he knows, oh, if I can make this better, I can make so much money off of it. So sure enough, uh, Edison uh, hires uh, people to work on this. One of them was Clarence Daly. Oh, poor Clarence. Uh, and Clarence does. He actually succeeds in creating a better x-ray. Um, but, but Clarence was using himself for a lot of these experimentations, specifically his hand, uh. doing it a, a, a lot. Um, so <laughs> uh, he created a better version of the x-ray, meaning that it got sharper, clearer images. But he was putting his hands under the machine on a frequent basis to the point to where he got radiation poisoning. He was losing his hair. Uh, his hands mm-hmm. swelled up and they hurt all the time. Uh, it, he got skin cancer to the, to the degree where they had to cut off one of his arms and then they ended up cutting off a few of his fingers. And it was at this point after he's losing limbs that Edison's like, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you should stop working on this machine. And then Clarence dies. So it it took that long for Edison to finally be like, Hey, you know what? This seems, maybe this is dangerous. Maybe you should really stop. No, not when the man has swollen red hands, it's, when he's lost. Mm-hmm. So that kind of shows maybe just a lack of empathy for people yeah. that are really making Edison a lot of freaking money. Um, mm-hmm. So he nixes the whole x-ray idea. And when even asked later, it's like, oh, what happened to that? I thought that was going to be your next big invention, Mr. Edison. And he's like, I'm afraid of it. So... That kind of just tells you all you need to know. And at least he didn't subject another person to mess around with it. But we now know that you don't 
play around with x-ray machines and radiation if you're exposed for long periods of time will kill you or make you very, very sick and then kill you. Um, So we're already seeing a pattern of Edison not really inventing anything, taking inventions made from other people, uh, having other people improve those inventions and then slapping his name on the, the patent and taking credit for all these things. So he's getting the money, he's getting the fame, he's getting the fortune for all of this. In fact, I think by the time of his death, he had had received the most patents of any inventor. I'm using air quotes because we know he wasn't really the inventor. I think it was like a thousand yeah. or so patents um, by the end of his life. Uh, so electricity, another thing that we think of Edison is we think of, oh, he discovered electricity. Well, no, he didn't, he didn't discover it. We all know electricity has been around. Um, but what he was trying to do is bring it into all of these homes because in that way he can sell more of his inventions that use electricity. Uh, but the Mm -hmm. problem was he wasn't able to get the electricity far from the generators so it would um he would build you know a building that would create the electricity but it would only send out the electricity for about half a mile that's not really convenient or efficient and what he was using was direct current so we've all heard the term acdc especially yeah. if you're into music it's the band it's about to rock yes <laughs> Um, but AC-DC means, uh, so DC is direct current, AC is... Alternate? Yes, alternate, alternate current. current. So yeah. direct current means it only travels in one direction. So that's what Edison had right now. Now we're going to come into alternate current in a little bit, because first we got to talk about Tesla. So we all heard of Tesla because of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I think as mm-hmm. our generation is getting older and teaching ourselves things that we're starting to find out about these people that history had attempted to erase. And I think one of them was Tesla. So mm-hmm. Tesla was an immigrant from what would be modern day Croatia. And he came to the United States with some people say no money. Others will say like, with four cents in his pocket. But basically he came to the United States with nothing but all these wonderful ideas in his head. And he knew that if he was able to find the right people here in the United States, that he would be able to make the world a a better place with his ideas and his inventions. So opposite of Edison. Um, But he at first starts to work for Edison because Edison was really good at collecting very smart people to come up uh, with ideas for him. And he tells Tesla, he says, hey, I have this issue with um, my uh, my electricity grids. Uh, they're also like very fragile and they would break down a lot. He's like, if you can come up with a better way to do this, I will pay you $50,000. And that's that's a lot of money for us today. That's over what yeah, I mean, I'd like that. Here, right? <laughs> yeah. So Tesla does it. 
he comes up with a better way to spread the electricity um and he fixes all the the grids um he comes up with alternate current so instead of sending the current one way the current can actually bounce back back and forth this makes it travel further and this also means it's it's stronger it's much stronger than dc current um so Tesla's like, hey, where's uh, you know money, please? I I gave you the idea. Um, where's mm-hmm. where's where's my money, Edison? And Edison, this is the this is a dick move. Edison goes, oh, I was joking. If you were an American, you would understand that that was just our sense of humor. Oh my god. What an asshole. Right? Right? Like, I'm yeah. an American. No, that's not an American. Yeah. Yeah. That's still, that's bullshit. Yeah. So he bullshitted Tesla. Tesla basically is fixing his problem, going to make him filthy fucking rich. And all he has to do <laughs> is give a little bit back. And Tesla, understandably, is upset. So he takes his ball. And he's like, I'm going to go find some other people to play with. So he takes his Mm -hmm. alternate current. He's able to get some investors. So he uh, creates his own uh, business. And then um, he's some other, he he sells his patent too, because he knows uh, that he's going to have to do that in order to get money. He sells his patent. Oh my God, I forgot who it was. Uh... Uh, I'm so sorry. It's not in my notes. Okay. Oh, I'll totally remember this, and I totally do not remember it. Um, uh, do you want me to try to Google it real quick? Hold on. Westinghouse. There we go. So Westinghouse mm. is another very rich person that is investing uh, also in the future, kind of like what Edison is doing as well. Like, oh, we're going to get these great inventors and we are going to change the world. So Westinghouse buys the patent from Tesla, but he buys it for what would be the equivalent today of $2 million. Mm-hmm. So he's he's giving back. Um, and now Westinghouse is becoming a competitor to Edison Electric. So Edison, not wanting people to go for the better product, basically not wanting people to do exactly what they've been doing with him. Uh, he tries to smear the whole concept of alternate current because he knows it's very important that you need to get the media on your side. You need That's the best way to tell your story is through the media. And that's a, another way that he was mm-hmm. a great quote, businessman is because he knew how to manipulate people's images and thoughts on things. So he was saying, oh, accelerated current is actually super dangerous. Um, it's going to end up killing all of your families within six months. And mm. so strong. Well, yeah, it is pretty strong, but that's why they all, uh, Tesla and uh, some other inventors came up with transformers, which we use today, because they can take mm-hmm. that strong current and then it lowers the voltage so that we put it in our phone houses so that we don't, when we plug something in, we don't go shooting across across the room. So they had already come up with a, a fix for that. But 
Edison wanting to scare people takes it an even step further to where he's paying people to go around these neighborhoods and electrocute cats and dogs, basically show that AC was dangerous. Now, there are oh some God. other people saying that, oh, no, no, Edison was commissioned by the American Humane Society to come up with a more humane way of killing off cats and dogs. And that's their excuse as to why he was doing this, uh, mm. not part of the campaign, but it, it was. So another way that Edison was making AC seem dangerous was he created, well, we also we know that he didn't. He had his people come up with the electric chair to be used for executions. Oh my God. Right? Yay. Using- He's like a serious cartoon villain here. Right. <laughs> you know, um, we have that. And then it takes us to the story, an elephant story of Topsy. Oh no. Right? I learned um, about this on Bob's Burgers. So <laughs> we know the story that Topsy the elephant uh, was electrocuted using alternate current. There is some discrepancies about why. So some of the stories can say that it was because, you know, Edison really wanted to show the world how dangerous this AC current really was that if, if it could kill an elephant, why is it not going to kill your entire family, right? Um, the other story was that T- Topsy had already been sentenced to execution. You're going, why is an elephant being sentenced to execution? Well, <laughs> uh, there's actually no good reason why an elephant should be sentenced to execution. So we already know how these circus animals or basically these exotic animals are treated. They're they're tortured and they're yeah. abused and forced to perform for us humans. And elephants yeah. are very intelligent and they're very sentient. I think it's yeah. horrible what was done to these these animals again because they really had no choice, especially very yeah. intelligent animals like elephants that you know they know they're being enslaved. Yeah. So that's why there's the stories of elephants being angry. Uh, the movie Dumbo, they separate Mama from the baby because Mama was just trying to defend her baby from all of those yeah. jerks. So she goes, she's very strong. She can hurt us weird, hairless yeah. very easily. So that's kind of what Topsy did. Topsy killed three people. I'm sure they had mm-hmm. it coming. I don't think Topsy was sneaking into people's yeah. homes like a serial killer and murdering innocent folks in their sleep. Yeah. That, you know, they don't go into detail of how these people were killed, but I'm pretty sure they were being trampled uh, from having tortured her. And well, I guess when the police yeah. were brought in, she wasn't very nice to the police either. I wouldn't be too, you know? So because of that, they're like, well, <laughs> To kill her, and no, no, let's yeah. not release her into a sanctuary or stop torturing her or stop making yeah. her perform for us. No, we, unfortunately, we got to kill her. Now, originally, they were going to hang her, but the American Humane Society was like, "No, no, no, you can't do that. That seems way too cruel." 
Yeah, that's the cruel thing, not the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, now I'm getting angry and flustered. So um, <laughs> they're like, why don't we have, you know, Edison use his technique of electrocution? Um, now, there's also no records of Edison actually being there that day. Uh, but that was filmed uh, by his company and it was probably done more for the same reason of, um, I was going to say shock value, but then I realized, ha ha. Yeah, that was in poor taste. (laughs) But that it was it to, to be more of a spectacle because people are obviously going to want to see this, this elephant being electrocuted. It's horrible. I didn't, just the small footage of what I saw was, Uh, this is it was a horrible thing to film um so because she was set to be executed they went ahead and electrocuted her they filmed it just because us humans are weird and disgusting and sick um so again there's those two sides of story either it was just being done to be humane quote unquote or it was just also another public way to downplay or not downplay, but upplay the dangers of alternate current. Mm-hmm. That because it was the better product was now being utilized by the uh, other power plants. So I think there was like only at the, not power plants, power companies. Um, it was just like down to three at the time. I mean, an AC was so well done (laughs) it was not well done but it worked that even edison's company had to inform him of oh we're going with ac so we're not using your invention we're using tesla's invention and edison was not happy about that because he Mm -hmm. hated the fact that it was tesla's invention was the one that worked and that now he he didn't put his name on it so now he's not going to get the credit for it so he quits um, Edison Electric, and they changed their name to General Electric, which mm. is around today. And I think at some point owned the company I worked for, uh, NBC. <laughs> yeah, so everything is, which is also very interesting that at Universal, they're they are not happy with Thomas Edison. So now yeah. I'm talking about why <laughs> um, people in the movie industry may not have a favorable. Um, view of Thomas Edison. So again, it goes back to Mr. Edison just trying to grab up all of those patents that he can possibly use, him suing anybody that wants to uh, take advantage of his patents because he wants all the money for himself. So in comes a camera. Now, technically, the first working film camera was created in France by Louis Le Prince. Mm. Yeah. So he was <laughs> super into photography, uh, was learning everything about, you know, uh, how to take photos and that kind of thing. And he's the one that came up with the idea of what if you take a whole bunch of photos and you put them together, you would get a film. And Edison hears about this. Some say he does, some say he doesn't, but we know how he is. He how he was with the light bulb, the x-ray machine, 
uh, all these other little inventions. He's really good at knowing what's going to be the next big thing. So mm, film camera. Now that's going to be great because already with his uh, phonograph, he has the corner in the entertainment industry because music and speeches and everything can be played on the phonograph. Now, how about if we start recording that with uh, images? So this is where it kind of gets a little bit weird. Uh, so Edison creates his uh, kinet- kinetoscope, which is very similar to the invention of Louis Le Prince. Now, Edison claims that, oh, I came up with this, and we know when he says I, it's his employees, uh, came up with this before Louis Le Prince. But evidence shows that Louis Le Prince, in one of his earlier films, has his grandmother in the footage, and she had died in 19, or 1989. She died in the 80s. I was four. Uh, Died in 1889. And Edison's kinetoscope, or kinetoscope wasn't invented until 1891. So somebody be lying. Mm -hmm. Now, Louis Le Prince, he is actually supposed to show off his invention Um, But he never makes it to the appointment or not the appointment. I say appointment because that's the first word, but he never makes it to the event. His brother or brother-in-law drops him off at the train station. And then Louis Le Prince is never seen again. His body is not found. Uh, Nobody has heard heard from him. He doesn't show up at... um, at the place where he's supposed to show off his mm-hmm. new invention, his wife is is convinced that Edison has kidnapped Louis Le Prince and is will not release him until Louis uh, releases the patent for his machine. Um, yeah. Louis Le Prince is never found, but his son Adolf. Here we have this name again. It was super popular before the 1940s. Now we don't hear about it. Yeah, We should do this with some other names um, like Chris and Mike because they're they're used so often, I feel, that it's overused. That imagine if it had been like Michael Hitler. Nobody wouldn't be named Michael today, right? Oh, or, no. Nobody wouldn't be named Chris. So I think Adolf might have been that kind of name yeah. where it was just – popular and then after the 1940s like mm, no we, we don't yeah. want it like imagine being that horrible of a person that your first name not his last name but his first name has become a huge taboo that's, yeah that's- <laughs> i don't think anyone can have the last name hitler either though oh, gosh. oh but- absolutely not but like both of those names you know yeah yeah at least like right now donald trump Donald is still going to be a name probably used and not associated with him. Trump, on the other hand, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So anyways, uh, Adolf is convinced um, that Edison had something to do with the the disappearance of his father, uh, takes Edison to court over his invention, basically saying that he stole his invention from his father. The court 
found enough differences between the two inventions to basically say that Edison's is completely different. But we know it's because he takes other people's inventions, has his employees tinker with them, and that's what he's been able to get away with. Adolf then later gets beat up and dies. Uh, Yeah, under mysterious circumstances. So not saying that Edison did all of this himself, but we know Edison is really good at delegating a lot of responsibility and that he's also very good at keeping himself out of uh, bad press and everything. So Mm -hmm. then you can make up your own mind on what happened. Um, Edison ends up dying an old man at home. Um, And he goes down in history as being this prolific inventor of discovering Mm -hmm. electricity. No, we're not discovering it, but... Uh, you know, creating the light bulb and bringing electricity into people's homes and creating all of these amazing inventions that we kind of, we don't use today, but they were the precursor to everything that we use today as well. Yeah. Uh, But in reality, he was just really good at uh, taking other people's ideas and putting his name on it. Yeah. And making money and not really wanting to spread the wealth. Um. He died mm-hmm. October 18th, uh, 1931. So, yeah, he wasn't a spring chicken when he went. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think what would be great is if we weren't taught that he was the top the group. I think that would help our yeah. society not hold these certain people on pedestals anymore thinking that he did it all. But in reality, it's like, no, a lot of other people worked on this. It wasn't just him. And, and poor Tesla, he, he just was not into, he was like the opposite of Edison. He had all these fantastic ideas, but did not want them to be exploited. And he didn't want to make money off of them. He really just wanted to make the world a better place. And here we, and now Tesla is completely erased in the school when it's Tesla is the reason why we have electricity in our houses. Tesla is the reason why we can do this because it was his alternate uh, current that yeah. was full uh, to the point to where we now have electricity. So thank you, Tesla, for that. And, um, Thank you, Joseph Swan, for the freaking light bulb. Or yeah, so and John Starr for thinking of it too. So all these other people should be really getting getting the credit. And Edison, again, he's not an evil person, um, but he is definitely not the person that we were taught about in school. And he's definitely yeah. not a great person. And yes, I, I can say, in my opinion, he, he's a bit of a poop. So yeah. I mean, I think he's kind of a big poop. I think he's evil. I think, I mean, he made, he, he may or may not have made someone disappear and he electrocuted an elephant. That's right. That's pretty bad. <laughs> well, again, he didn't create it, but had it pretty much commissioned. Um, yeah. So, uh, oh, oh, I don't know if, I'm sorry. I don't know if that ties back with the movie thing. So, um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, with the film camera. So that's how Edison kind of got control of the patent for the the film camera. But he doesn't like sharing. He didn't want to be able to share this technology with everybody else. And so then in the film industry, that's pretty much why they all got away from the East Coast and went to the West Coast. Because it was harder for Edison to start suing all of these people that just wanted to make movies. Because Edison wanted money more than he wanted this technology to be used by our society to express themselves. And Carl Lemley, who was uh, also another immigrant wanting to come to the United States to fulfill his dream and make these movies, um, the founder of Universal Pictures... Yeah, there's some animosity towards somebody like Thomas Edison, who is not really creative at all in in him. Well, not at all, but not as creative as he is perceived and is definitely mm-hmm. taking advantage of exploiting all these other people. Like, how dare he try to keep this away from, from the world? And, yeah. and again, that's why at Universal and kind of in Hollywood – Edison is seen as a, the bad guy because yeah. of somebody has a star on the Walk of Fame. That's Thomas money. Edison does. Yeah, you just need enough money. I'm sure yeah, that's true. Some, yeah, and then that's it. Donald yeah. Trump has a star on the Hall of the Rugrats. Yeah. Have a star on that's the Hall. That's true. That's true. Really, people, if you're not from the Los Angeles area and you haven't been to Hollywood, you think the walk of fame is really cool. It's not, it's a, it's a just as disgusting, dirty sidewalk as any, excuse me, as any sidewalk you're going to find in a large city. It is covered in filth, uh, human feces, urine, you name it. It is underwhelming. A lot of people I think come to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, expecting something glamorous, and then they're mm. super really disappointed when they're mm. when they see it in real life. And oh gosh! And please don't lie down on the sidewalk and take a picture. We've all and done it. We've all done it. Unless, unless you unless you clean it first, just you might want to yeah. do that. You might just want to, especially now with COVID, just give it a good wipe down and don't kiss the star unless you've wiped it down. Just please, for yeah. the love of God. You, if you've spent any time in downtown Hollywood, you see what happens on those sidewalks. You really don't want to be putting your mouth there. Yeah, yeah. I know. Even Marilyn, <laughs> don't don't kiss her star, especially because it's in front of the McDonald's and the bus stop. Oh, where it gets some um, some fun activity there. Yeah, <laughs> fun activity on that McDonald's, and it's right yeah. across from the metro station. Uh, yeah. If you want to show, um, but yeah, so that's that's Thomas Edison. Um, yeah, fuck that I guy. Think it could be called, uh, yeah, uh, rich guys exploiting other people. Well, P.T. Yeah. off rich, but I guess he ended up rich. Like uh, he exploited people, but like he gave them money, but he still yeah, exploited them. Edison exploited people and then didn't give them money. Give it, give the money. Right. You know. So, yeah, yeah. The the one with rich guys who aren't exploiting what they people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's who it. aren't what they seem. Yeah, yeah. 
because I, I think it's only really been recently in modern times that people are starting to look down on Edison for what he actually yeah. did to people. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's hilarious that Tesla was a company created by people that really just wanted to share the electric car with everybody. Mm -hmm. And then it gets bought up by Elon Musk, who kind of like Edison doesn't really come up with shit himself, but pays other people to, and then slaps his name on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, uh, well, wah, wah. we're doomed. I think that's how we should we just are. end every we're episode doomed. is we're doomed. <laughs> exactly. My hair's doing a weird thing. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, that was uplifting. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll do the little ending thing. And so this has been another episode of my weird little podcast with the wonderful Roxana and Pat somewhere in the background. Ooh. And uh, yeah, join us again uh, next week with another episode and I don't know what we're doing. I forgot. So, oh, we're talking about next week. We are talking about some disasters, some catastrophic disasters. Um, more uplifting. That, yeah. <laughs> I promise next season there will be more uplifting stories. We are having a meeting entirely about that to where <laughs> it won't be so tragic and sad every single time not to say that we won't do sad stories because sad stories are interesting and everyone loves a good murder you know there's a few people that didn't enjoy it but okay yeah. <laughs> but, like murder uh, in the morning <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, listen to us on all the places you listen to podcasts. Uh, please email us if you have any suggestions for stories or if you think we got something wrong or, you know, anything, questions, comments, concerns, just say hi. Cat if photos. Like to. Cat photos are great. We, everyone enjoys a good cat photo, That's including, including cats. They actually yeah. don't really mind uh, that one. Yeah. <laughs> so our email is myweirdlittlepodcast at gmail.com. I hope you all stay spooky. Uh, I know Halloween uh, is past, but Halloween is around the corner for us. So I hope everyone does have a great Halloween and stay safe and uh, wear your mask and uh, eat some candy. Woo! Woo! Woo!